The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, uh, I wrote this in the last kind of edition of our, our uh, uh, email newsletter, but it's worth repeating. Uh, here at Two Pillars Church, we like to preach through books of the Bible, um, start to finish, and, and it's not to say that we don't preach topically around here from time to time, we do, but we prefer to preach through books of the Bible. And the reason, well, there, there are a number of reasons, but, but one of the reasons is that it, it forces us to deal with difficult, difficult passages, and it forces us to, to talk about difficult topics. And Proverbs 5 is certainly one of those passages we might be tempted uh, to skip over, suffice it to say, <laughs> right? Uh, because it, it has to do with sex, and I, I think it wants us to ask this very important question, and, and that is this. What is sexual freedom? What is sexual freedom? What does it mean to be sexually free? Now, this isn't a, a typical conversation for Sunday mornings. And yet, here we are, Proverbs 5 follows Proverbs 4. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So what is freedom? Is, is freedom simply life without limits? Life without constraints and without boundaries. This is, I think, how our world would define freedom, sexual freedom. It's, it's sexual life apart from boundaries, apart from restraints, apart from the constraints of a, a sexual ethic. It, in particular, a, a biblical and Christian sexual ethic. But, but the, the father in our passage is going to present the son and us, I think, with a, with a better way. The path of sexual wisdom that leads to true freedom. And so here, here's a big idea of the passage. This is the big idea for the father uh, speaking to the son and our heavenly father speaking to us as well, by way of his word. Wisdom seeks sexual pleasure as God designed it to be enjoyed within the created bounds of biblical marriage. Wisdom seeks sexual pleasure as God designed it to be enjoyed within the bounds of biblical marriage. So what I, I want to propose to us today, and what I, I think our passage is going to teach us today is this, that, that sexual freedom actually has boundaries around it, that they're God-created boundaries. And so freedom is to enjoy sex as God designed it to be enjoyed, and to enjoy it in a way that, that we have been designed to enjoy it. And the, the father begins first by warning against the temptation of sexual folly. And he does so by, by focusing in on this uh, forbidden woman. Now, uh, there's something that I want to be careful to point out here at the beginning of the sermon. And that is this, that uh, though the passage does invite us to assume the perspective of this young man receiving wisdom from his father, 
this doesn't mean that this is a sermon just for men in the room. I want to be very clear about that here today. What, what we have here in Proverbs 5 are, are principles of truth and wisdom, which are broadly applicable, not just applicable to men in the room, but broadly applicable, by being, uh, uh, but, but they are being illustrated by way of a specific example or person. If you have an ESV study Bible at home or even with you here today, there's a really helpful note in the ESV study Bible. It says this, that this passage illustrates the principle of concreteness. It's a rhetorical device. Of course, other sexual dangers exist. And so this, this concreteness is, is, is typical of wisdom literature, such as Proverbs. Of course, other sexual dangers exist, such as a woman being tempted by an immoral man, temptations to homosexual conduct, incest, or sexual abuse of children. And the wise person applies this counsel by making the appropriate adaptions. And so as you're sitting here today, it's possible, especially if you're a female, you, you might have to make appropriate adaptions, but, but don't sit back and assume that this is just a sermon for the men in the room. This is a sermon for the people of God. And so the, the passage, it definitely has something to say to men in the room, but not just to the men. And here, here's what the the loving father is going to walk the son through and us through as well as, as he unpacks sexual wisdom for this young man. First of all, he, he has a warning. He has a warning for the son. Secondly, he has a comparison, a comparison that he's going to make between sexual wisdom and sexual folly, false freedom and true freedom. And then we'll wrap, wrap up briefly at the end with the third thing, a, a theological truth. So a warning, a comparison, a theological truth. Let's dive in then to the, the first six verses where we see the warning. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. So the, the father begins by reminding the son to listen. It's as if he's saying, son, don't just hear what I'm telling you. Don't just let these words enter into your ear on one side and go out on the other. But I need you to pay attention. I need you to pay attention because I need you to be ready. You see, the world in this day was a place much like our own world Today, in, in, in the present day, it, it was a place of sexual temptation and sexual confusion. Technology looked different, to be sure. They weren't carrying around iPhones in their pockets. But it was a place of sexual temptation and, and, and confusion, just like it is today. And as the father prepares his son to embark upon his own life's journey in the world, he wants him to be armed with the wisdom of truth. Because as we will see, as we talk about sex and sexuality, 
the stakes are so high. The stakes are, are so high. And you see, memorizing a few verses from the book of Proverbs aren't going to be enough to help him or you or me when he or we face temptation. The mere memorization of words and verses, it's, it's not going to be enough. And so he says, be attentive. Incline your ear so that your lips may guard knowledge. What the father is doing here is he's saying, he's exhorting his son to listen and to internalize the wisdom that he is imparting, that he's passing along. He wants his son, and our heavenly father wants us here today to make this wisdom our own, to, to know it to value it, to, to believe it, to, to speak it. He wants this same wisdom to be on our lips. He wants us to, to put it into practice and, and to apply it to our lives. So he says, pay attention. you got to be ready. And then the Father gives his warning. And the warning is this. The lips of a forbidden woman drip with honey. Her words are smoother than oil. The imagery, you probably noticed this when, when Brian was reading, the imagery in this chapter of Scripture is, is vivid, isn't it? It's vivid. Here we have this picture of lips like a honeycomb dripping with honey. I mean, think about how desired honey was in a world without a canister of, 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 uh, of sugar on the kitchen counter, without high fructose corn syrup to sweeten up all the candy just waiting for you at, at, at the convenience store. Honey is, is golden and sweet, and, and it was desired in this day perhaps in a different way than it is today, but, but today honey's still sweet, still golden. Just like the lips of the forbidden woman. Sweet like honey as she tempts, as she flatters and pleases and seduces. And, and we're also told that her words are smoother than oil. Her words aren't just sweet, but they're, they're charming. They're, they're persuasive. And as we will see, they're deceptive. And ladies in the room, again, the reminder. I think it's, it's safe to say that the lips of a forbidden man can also drip with sweet golden honey. His words can be smoother than oil. Maybe he makes you feel noticed. Maybe he makes you feel seen, understood. It's like he makes you feel desired in a way that maybe you never have before, but you've always longed to be. In a way that you're your husband, if you're married, never has. Man, she makes you feel needed. 
She makes you feel strong, like you matter in a way that you've never felt like you mattered before. Notice that the father doesn't try to convince his son that sexual temptation, the sexual temptation that he'll face in the world that is not desirable. He doesn't try to pull the wool over his son's eyes by saying, hey, the temptations in the world aren't actually that tempting because they are. And so he tells his son honestly about the, the dripping honey and the smooth oil. You see, it's, it's tempting. It's tempting to flirt a little bit with your coworker and to confide in her about the tension that exists in your marriage. It's tempting. It's tempting to reciprocate when someone gives you attention or that brief or even not so brief look of interest. It's, it's tempting to strike up a conversation with that stranger when you're traveling out of town. It's tempting to seek out pornography or to scroll your social media feed looking for the images that you know or there, looking for that video to fix your eyes on and watch. It's tempting to watch that show on Netflix that you know has suggestive content. It's tempting to, to send a message to that guy or that girl on the dating app that's clearly not a Christian, knowing full well where it might end up. It's tempting to premeditate putting yourself and your boyfriend or girlfriend in a circumstance, in a setting, at the end of the night where you'll have an obvious opportunity to compromise and cross boundaries, despite the fact that you, you both told one another that you never would. Here's the thing. This is the thing about sexual temptation. There, there's an appeal. Her lips, they, they drip with honey. And the honey promises to be sweet. There's a physical appeal. There's an emotional appeal. One that might even cause your heart to race a bit. Again, if you're married, maybe it promises to offer something that your spouse just isn't providing right now. And for a short, for a short time, in a very brief and fleeting moment, it might even deliver. And again, there's a, there's a physical appeal, the promise of delight and satisfaction, pleasure and ecstasy, release, escape. There's, there's also deception, which makes it even more dangerous. Her speech is smoother than oil, and it, it lubricates your judgment and conscience. It tricks you into to thinking things like you can hide it. No one needs to find out about this. It'll just be this once. It's not that big of a deal. You know what? Actually, I think it's worth it. It's worth the risk. You deserve this. No, you need this. But verse three, the honey and the oil isn't by itself. It's, 
It's partnered with verse four. So the father doesn't leave the son with verse three. He, he then moves on to verse four. You see, while the forbidden woman's lips drip with honey, in the end, she's bitter as wormwood. And while her speech is smoother than oil, she's also sharp as a two-edged sword. You see, in the end, this woman delivers the exact opposite of what she promised. Sweet becomes bitter and unsatisfying. Smooth becomes sharp and devouring. One commentator points out that while wormwood isn't, itself, isn't in and of itself poisonous, it's usually associated with gall, which is a bitter and poisonous plant. This is why the Father wants the Son to pay attention. This is why our Father wants us to pay attention this morning. It's because the, the folly of adultery and sexual sin is dangerous. And it's deadly. I mean, just look at the woman in our text. We're told that she's wandering along through life, not, not guided by wisdom, like the wisdom that the Father is imparting to the Son, not acknowledging the difference between wisdom and foolishness, right and wrong. She's given herself to, to sin and to the lusts of her flesh. And we're told that her path is a path that leads to death. Perhaps physical death? Surely spiritual death. And so the, the stakes are high. And it's important that we acknowledge that here because the world out there isn't going to tell you that. They aren't going to acknowledge just how high the stakes are. It, it just tells you that the path to a free and full life is a path unhindered by restriction. Freedom is life without limits. Freedom is living your truth to the full. And the, the Father knows that true freedom is something altogether different. And so to illustrate his point then, the Father follows this warning with instruction that comes in the form of a comparison. That brings us to our second point. And the comparison is this. On the, on the one hand, between the false freedom of sexual sin and foolishness, and on the other hand, the true freedom of sexual wisdom. And you'll note that there's you might sense like an, an increased sense of, of urgency here in verse 7. As the father says, And now, O sons, son has become plural to sons. I think what he's, he's doing here is he realizes he's passing down wisdom, not just to his son, but to subsequent generations of sons. And he wants it to, to filter down through the generations. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Listen now. Pay attention. Again, what I'm about to teach you is important because this is all a matter of, of when. Not if temptation comes, but when temptation comes. The instruction to the, the son here as we focus in on the false freedom of sexual folly. It's, it's, it's straightforward and simple. So straightforward and simple that it almost doesn't sound spiritual. He says in, in verse 8, keep 
your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Stay away. Stay away from the forbidden woman. Stay far, far away from sexual temptation. Don't go near it. Don't go near the door, which is the entryway into sin. You see, sin and temptation, they're not something to be flirted with. Something that is deadly, deadly poison, isn't something to be played with and and, and toyed around with. And yet, foolishness, what does it tell us? It tells us we can get just a little bit closer. Like, how close can I get to the line without actually crossing the line? Foolishness wants us to get so close to that honey that I can almost taste it. And again, this this might not seem like the most spiritual advice in the world, but, but here we have it. Stay away. And it's not just here in Proverbs. Paul tells us the same thing in the New Testament. He says, flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6. And as he writes to a young Timothy, he says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Just like our our father tells the son in the passage today. He says, run. Turn the other way and run. Stay far, far away because behind that door is danger and the danger is deadly. And then in verses 9 through 14, we see the consequences of falling into an adulterous relationship with this forbidden woman. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. This is talking about the consequences, the the practical consequences of sexual sin and folly. There's, There's a loss of honor. When you're found out, there's a loss of valuable time invested in sin and foolishness. There's a loss of vitality and strength, even hard-earned wealth at times, perhaps expended in the cover-up. Strangers here might be referring to the adulteress's angry husband and the husband's family who are probably coming after him looking for blood. And so, sexual sin and, and, and folly, it, it leads to harm. It leads to loss, loss of reputation, misery, regret, jealousy, conflict, destruction of marriages, destruction of families, custody trials, child support, alimony, disease, isolation, loneliness, the weight of guilt and shame. And just as honey is unable to satisfy hunger, like an actual meal. Sexual sin eventually leaves you unsatisfied as well, which then leads you to the need of of, of seeking out more and more and more. And as you do, sexual sin, it doesn't give life. It takes it. It steals, it kills, it takes, it destroys it consumes. And the father wants the son to know about it. 
And ultimately, as he illustrates it, it leads to regret. And you say, how I hated discipline. This is the son. This is this potential fool at the end of his life, looking back in regret, saying, how, how I've how I hated discipline, how my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregations. This isn't the wonderful freedom that the world promised us, is it? That's because an unbridled pursuit of sex and sexual fulfillment without limits, without any restrictions, it's not true freedom at all. It's bitter and poisonous wormwood drizzled in honey. It's a foolish path that, as we see in the final couple of verses, ensnares, enslaves, and leads you astray on a path to utter ruin and death. Notice here, by the way, that at the end of his life, as he reflects upon his own foolishness, he doesn't blame the strange woman, but he blames himself. That's because he was a fool. He didn't listen to wisdom. He is accountable for his own foolishness, his own sin, his own folly. That's a bleak picture. Fortunately, it's a contrast. We have a better picture that the Father is going to contrast this with. And that is the true freedom of sexual wisdom. And again, he, he summarizes the instruction for us on this side of the comparison in a single verse as well. And that is this, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, as we move through verses 15 through 18, you're going to, note, you're, you're going to notice a number of references to water and sources of water, which is appropriate because we have a lot of rain today. It's just kind of a wet day, and so water, water is, is, is on our minds. And you'll notice, perhaps, that these references to water and sources of water, they, they intensify, in a sense. Moving from a cistern, which is just kind of a, a container to hold water, to a well, ending ultimately with a fountain in verse 18. Now, scholars... Of course, as, as scholars tend to do from time to time, they differ in their interpretation of, of, about all of this, but I, I, I tend to agree with one commentator, Bruce Waltke, who says that the water in verse 15 stands for this. He says that it stands for the quenching of one's sexual thirst. The quenching of one's sexual thirst. And so then, going back to verse 15... What it's saying is this, satisfy your sexual thirst from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Or, in other words, number two, the father is saying, son, quench your sexual thirst by making love to your own wife. Notice the possessive words here, your own cistern. 
your own well. Proverbs 5 assumes, uh, assumes the same thing that we read in 1 Corinthians 7, that the, the wife and her body belong to her husband. And likewise, a husband and his body belongs to his wife. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says this, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, a wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Don't stop reading there. We're going to make some errors. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, this is, this is evidence that it would be a mistake for us to conclude based upon a, a a poor reading of Proverbs chapter 5, that, that it's communicating some kind of misogynistic message that wives exist for the pleasure of their husbands and are duty-bound to deliver said pleasure. That is not what this passage is communicating here. This isn't Christian marriage. The, the wife doesn't merely belong to the husband. Husband and wife belong to one another. And if this is true then, Verses 16 and 17 naturally follow. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. In other words, should a, a husband or a wife be the source of sexual satisfaction for just anyone? Should their water be scattered around and flow in the streets? Should they quench the sexual thirst of strangers? The answer to this rhetorical question, brothers and sisters, is no. Let them be for yourself alone. For your spouse alone. And then this, this liquid, this watery picture reaches a climax. And yes, that pun is very much intended, beginning in verse 18. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? You see, sin... And foolishness seeks sexual satisfaction outside the boundaries of the marriage covenant. In the forbidden woman who can't deliver on the promises made by her honey dripping lips or her oil saturated words, in the end, she brings pleasure laced with poison. And so maybe it would have been enough for the father to tell the son, the son, what he says in verse, uh, in, in, in the first verse, verse 15 of this section. Hey, son, stay away. Stay away from her. Keep your distance. Don't do that. Resist the temptation. But the father doesn't stop there. 
And ultimately, I would argue, the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel doesn't just tell us to stop doing that bad, sinful thing over there. The gospel invites us always to a greater delight and a greater pleasure, leading us ultimately to delight and be satisfied in Jesus Christ himself. And the gospel invites us to walk the path of wisdom and freedom, which isn't life without limits or restrictions. You see, the path of sexual freedom and wisdom calls us to enjoy sex as God designed it to be enjoyed within the created boundaries of a marriage. And it calls us to pursue the pleasures and delights that God has given us to enjoy and to see these as good gifts that ultimately point us to him. Pastor Ray Ortland he summarizes it in this way. He says that sex is like fire. Inside the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns a house down. And so Proverbs 5 is telling us to keep the fire in the fireplace. Yes and amen. In the context of a marriage between one man and one woman, But Proverbs 5 also tells us to stoke the fire of sexual pleasure and passion in marriage so that it burns hot. Notice this passage has a lot to say about sex, but very little to say about procreation. Did you notice that? God didn't simply create sex for the purpose of procreation. And I think Proverbs 5 is evidence of that fact. He also created it for pleasure and, in a sense, protection from sexual folly, both for husband and for wife. So the father tells the son to return over and over and over again to his wife, who is a fountain, a constant source of water, is the only one who can satisfy him and quench his sexual thirst. He says to rejoice in her, to seek intimacy with her. He says, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. He's saying delight in her, delight in her beauty. And he goes so far as to say to, to be intoxicated in her love. Not just sometimes, not just on the weekends, but be intoxicated in her love always. And look, intoxication, what does it imply? Indulgence. Indulgence. And marriage in the fireplace, this is a place for sexual indulgence. One note, while this passage does speak to the importance of sexual intimacy in marriage. It's not making the point that sexual intimacy should serve as a foundation for marriage or that sex is the only ingredient to intimacy in a marriage. And Tim Keller wrote this, which helps us to to make that important correction. He says this, or he wrote this, this is not, however, the modern mistaking of sexual chemistry for real intimacy. Only when, because of your covenant bond, you learn to stick with each other through all things. All things. I would add, all things includes sexual sin and hard things like betrayal. 
through all things to repent and forgive when wrongdoing each other does the richest, deepest intimacy grow. Then sex becomes a celebration of your life together. The physical union is a wonderful sign of the union of all aspects of your life. True sexual chemistry then grows from the whole relationship rather than the relationship being based on sexual chemistry. So here's what I want to do now. I want to stop now and I'm going to make a few practical points of application before we get on to our, our brief third point. First point of application is for those in the room who are married. If you're married, I, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to have an honest conversation with your spouse. And I, I'm talking like soon. Don't put this off till like vacation time, next week, next month. Do it tonight if you can. Have an honest conversation with your spouse about how you can better cultivate intimacy in your marriage. This includes sexual intimacy again, but it, it, it means more than just physical intimacy. We're talking about a holistic approach to intimacy with an understanding and a realization that it's all connected. The emotional is connected to the spiritual, is connected to the physical. And so don't just have a conversation about more sex. Please don't do that. Have a conversation about deeper intimacy. How might you enjoy one another more? How might you honor and please one another more? How might you love and serve one another more? Those in the room who are not married, I want to implore you to trust in God's good design for sex as being for the covenant of marriage. Here's the thing. You're going to have to take his word for it. And the question is, is he worthy of that level of trust? I would argue he is. The question is, can he actually deliver a better satisfaction to someone who isn't married and doesn't have access to Sexual intimacy in, in the context of marriage. And I think he can. And that he does. So the, the invitation here is to delight yourself in Jesus who offers satisfaction that not even sex can touch. Sex is not God. And look, I'm, I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. And if you're in the throes of it now, you, you know that it's not. But I am saying it's, it's worth the struggle. And lastly, repent and turn from sexual sin and folly in your life. And this final point of application brings us, I'm going to pause it, it brings us to verse 21, the final verses uh, in the, the conclusion of our passage where we see our theological truth. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquity of the wicked ensnare him. He is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. You see, a man's life, a woman's life, our entire life is lived before the eyes of the Lord. 
the source and author of all wisdom, including sexual wisdom, he sees it all. Nothing that is done is done and secret. And so that the Father is inviting the Son to live life in light of this truth. And that means that sexual sin and folly is committed before the eyes of God. That means that not only is sexual sin sin against another man or woman, not only is sexual sin sin against your spouse, current spouse, future spouse, not only is sexual sin, as we read in the New Testament, sin against your own body, but it's sin against a holy God. Not only does it bring with it practical worldly consequences, but it brings with it eternal consequences. Remember that the end of this path leads to death. And this is an eternal death. And so, look, where there is sin, repentance should follow. Proverbs 5 Hear me, Proverbs 5 is is an invitation to all of us to turn from our sexual sin and folly. So let me ask. And statistically, I know what the answer to this question is. Are you walking in darkness today? Are you walking in the darkness of, of ongoing, unrepentant, sexual sin and folly. I I want to invite you today, again, not tomorrow, not next week, not a month from now, I want to invite you today to take a step into the light, to turn from your sin, to confess it. Pastors, we're going to be around. Find someone else in the room that you know and trust. Today's the day to bring this before the Lord, to confess, to repent, to turn, and to walk the path towards something better. And look, you're going to need help. This is what the newcomers class is all about. This is why we're passionate about seeing people connected to the body of Christ, because this isn't, this isn't a journey you're going to be able to walk on your own. You need help turning from your sin. You might need help in your marriage. So we're here to help you. We have groups of men and women who are here, locked arms together, trying to help one another. And they're here to help you as well. And look, I make this plea to you, knowing that, look, I have not always walked this path of wisdom. Many of us in the room have not walked not always walk this path of wisdom. Many of us aren't walking it right now. None of us are perfect. So we, we have pasts, too, that are, that are filled with sexual sin. We have a story as well. Some in the room have committed adultery. Some of us, again, we're, we're walking the path of folly Right now, and, and look, if, if you're sitting here thinking that you're above it, I, I want to encourage you to beware because you're in danger if, if you think that you're above this. So the gospel, it, 
It offers mercy. It offers us grace. And it offers us forgiveness. And so my plea to you this morning is to receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus. Would you walk in that faith this morning and bring what is in the darkness to light? Let me read this from 1 Corinthians 6. The Apostle Paul writes this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's what the Son is warning. That's what the Father is warning the Son about. Do do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that fools won't inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of us. But we were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. And you can be too. Brothers and sisters, wisdom seeks sexual pleasure as God designed it to be enjoyed. Within the created bounds of biblical marriage, two pillars. Let's let's reject the false freedom of sexual folly. Let's do that together. And let's embrace the true freedom of sexual wisdom. And let's walk closely with Jesus who washes us sanctifies us, declares us righteous, and restores us to right relationship with our Creator, who alone can fully and finally satisfy us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now humbly, acknowledging that we are not a faithful people. We have not walked in spotless faithfulness before you. It's, it's, it's not true in the area of, of, of sexual wisdom and, and the biblical sexual ethic that we have before us. And yet, Lord, you, you are a God who is faithful, who is unwaveringly faithful. And you pursued us your unfaithful bride. He sent your son to die for us in order that our sin might be washed away, that we might be made white as snow. Father, we we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your faithful pursuit of us and him. Lord, would we be transformed by his grace and empowered to walk the path of wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, 
please visit www.twopillarschurch.com. <laughs>